0: Nice to be joined by lewis james and um Hi, Rosie. i'll let i'll let you introduce yourself um me, tell me a little bit about your background
1: yeah so i'm a, a an academic and researcher in mm. um, nutrition and sports nutrition um i i guess i've got a long history of martial arts kind of training from from childhood judo taekwondo and then and then mixed martial arts which i think was where we first met, obviously some yes. time ago now. Yeah.
0: So we've had a lot of conversations over the years, haven't yeah. we, about um, about various aspects of mixed martial arts, nutrition, and weight cutting, yeah. and things. And I think, in fact, you're underselling yourself there a little bit because you've got quite a strong background in working with fighters, haven't you? You've worked yeah. with a number of reasonably high-profile athletes over the years.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. I've worked with with a number of um, a number of MMA athletes. Um, know, jiu jitsu and mm-hmm. submission wrestling uh, athletes mainly when i was um, when i was training quite heavily with um, with a lot of guys at leicester shoot fighters in and around leicester and nottingham a lot of the old kind of roughhouse roughhouse guys that were down down that way um, so yeah whether it was informal or formal advice there was obviously having a having a expertise in nutrition and yeah. training with a group of mma athletes you mm-hmm. you invariably end up doing uh, some work with with some of those athletes yes. and i mean that was where my kind of academic background was, so mm-hmm. I did a, an undergrad degree, a BSc in food science and nutrition um, at mm-hmm. Reading University mm-hmm. um, or University of Reading. Then I moved to Loughborough mm-hmm. um, and studied an MSc in sport and exercise nutrition. And I stayed there to do my, my PhD. Uh, so my doctorate, mm-hmm. which, um, which was in um, how energy restriction and, and um, water balance and hydration and dehydration interact Um, some of that was targeted specifically at kind of making weight strategies in, in weight category sports.
0: So basically you've actually conducted research into some of the strategies that fighters might use as part of
1: their (laughs) method of making weight. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I think over the last 13 years now, I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. in academia, we, we, (laughs) we do studies, we write up the results of studies and we publish those in the journals. Mm -hmm. And I think I've published I, don't, I couldn't tell you the exact number, but somewhere between 50 and 60 uh, original kind of research um, studies. Wow. So that's,
0: that's quite a big deal, isn't it? And um, when we're talking about uh, sort of people who know their stuff when it comes to, I mean, the reason I want to emphasize this is because I know that in the world of mixed martial artists, there's any number of people who have an opinion about how to make weight, how to cut weight, um, There's lots of advice floating around on the internet. And sometimes it's hard to know the difference between what's good advice and what's not good advice. And sometimes even people who've got quite a big profile and quite a a name, um, they don't necessarily have such a strong academic background in terms of actually having done the research and figured out scientifically what works here. Yeah, so. Um, This is something that I want to emphasise to people who are listening to this, is that you've been there and done that. um, And you've got both the practical experience of having worked with fighters, and so you know it from their point of view, but also having actually done the research and the the science behind it. Um, So that's why um, I wanted to to get you on to talk about this, because I think it's something that's sorely lacking in uh, in the mixed martial arts
1: world. Yeah, I think it's really important and um, recognizing Mm. people's qualifications and Mm. nutritionist isn't a recognized term or a a protected term, Mm -hmm. Um, but you you can be a registered nutritionist. Mm -hmm. um, To to be a registered nutritionist or a registered sport and exercise nutritionist, you have to have a recognized academic qualification in that specific topic. And I think Mm -hmm. um, certainly mixed martial arts is one of the sports where it's very prevalent for individuals to be providing nutritional advice, advice mm-hmm. around you know weight loss, recovery from weight loss, mm-hmm. without having those formal qualifications. Um, and I think you know that's a, a, a strong way of ensuring that the person that's providing mm-hmm. the advice at least is giving um, what should be evidence-based advice. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You know, I, I guess I am in the position of having that. Mm you know, academic background and you know, the, 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 the degrees I've taken to be in the position I'm in also actively um, kind of researching in areas that are, you know, most of my areas actually sprung from my interest in kind of weight loss. So the things that I look at, re- regulation of appetite, the effect of dehydration on physical performance, recovery from dehydration, mm-hmm. those things have all come directly from my interest in, in weight category sports. So my, my research and interest in in weight category sports and mixed martial arts specifically are kind of really inter, intertwined. Uh, but yeah, my personal view is to, to have a really good understanding of, mm-hmm. of how an athlete should prepare physically mm-hmm. or nutritionally. You, you need to have a really strong understanding of the scientific literature, because what you're doing is you're taking scientific data and results, mm-hmm. some of which isn't always fit for purpose in that mm-hmm. specific environment, but it might be the best evidence we've got for that specific yeah. question. Yeah. But you need to be able to interpret those results absolutely in the context of how the data was collected and what mm-hmm. it means. And if you, if you haven't gone through the yeah. process, then you don't un- understand yeah. that necessarily.
0: And I think this is one of the tricky things that we see a lot is that people will, they might, they might go on Google or some other search engine, PubMed, and look for a particular study and they'll, they'll pull one study out of the whole literature and they'll take that in isolation and they'll use that to, to back up something that they're saying rather than looking at everything else that's out there. And I think that's something that I see a lot going on. Yeah,
1: completely. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, really e- evidence is always evolving. Yes. And that's what I love about science is that it is it, con- continuously evolving. You know, it's yeah. the same as mixed martial arts, really, mm-hmm. you know, I think back to when I first started watching yeah. mixed martial arts and you had people like Pedro Hizo, and, and mm-hmm. in the early days or the earlier days of the mm-hmm. kind of UFC who would, you know, tear people apart with leg kicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know mm-hmm. that happens less now, because everybody is more well rounded and you know as yep. a sport and as a you know a combat sport it's mm-hmm. evolved yeah and you know science science is the same science evolves and mm-hmm. and uh, we're you don 't really ever know anything yes, you only have the current evidence based yes. yep. and that is generally the the best guess mm-hmm. at what the actual answer yeah. is so Science and evidence never really proves yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. It provides evidence for mm. a specific practice, and sure. um, yeah. I think yeah, you need to have that you know well-rounded understanding mm-hmm. of of science and nutrition if you're going to be able to apply it yeah. to mixed martial arts. Yeah. Certainly,
0: uh, something I something I see is that a lot of people can get very dogmatic about something and say this is the one one way to do something, and this is this is the truth. Um, I always look at that and sort of think. Uh. Yeah, or I, maybe.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think nowhere yeah. is that more yeah. evident than with nutrition. Yeah, um, because you think the, the 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 nice thing about humans is that we are mm-hmm. so adaptable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we work as a species. Mm-hmm. We provide a stimulus, mm-hmm. we adapt to that stimulus. Mm-hmm. You know, and another stimulus, and we'll adapt to that stimulus. Mm-hmm. And and you can see that with you know simple kind of exercises. You take somebody who's never you know cycled or, or run before. make them do a load of cycling or running training (laughs) And, and very quickly, yes. their uh, kind of abilities to utilize oxygen, mm-hmm. their, you know, oxidative capacity, their, mm-hmm. you know, their, their maximal fitness, all of those sort of things will will change pretty rapidly. Yes. You know, same yeah. with resistance exercise yeah. or strength mm-hmm. training, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the same with diets. Mm-hmm. Everyone argues about, well, it should be this diet or that diet, you know, the, my view isn't, there isn't really a perfect diet mm-hmm. if we're just talking about kind of mm-hmm. health and general population, yes. and mm-hmm. you can look at populations from around the world mm-hmm. with such different diet qualities yeah. you know there are populations that pretty mm-hmm. much only consume mm-hmm. consume carbohydrate you mm. know there are populations that consume huge amounts of fat and sometimes mm-hmm. huge amounts of saturated fat mm. you know various different populations having very different diets mm-hmm. with similar health yeah. kind of you know status with those those individuals mm. very healthy
0: and sometimes it can be quite hard to actually look at that and sort of say well what's the best um, because i know i know that there are all sorts of problems with the evidence base when it comes to saying well, what's the best kind of diet yeah. out there it, um i mean let's just say a little bit about that while, while we're on the topic of general nutrition yeah
1: um yeah um, i mean you... like i say, I, I, my personal view is that there mm-hmm. isn't a best diet as yeah. you know there's there's many ways to achieve the same mm-hmm. things with with nutrition the for me the most important elements mm-hmm. of a diet and mm-hmm. a, a kind of an appropriate diet just mm-hmm. for general health yeah. is appropriate energy balance. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that is the number one mm-hmm. in, important you know, yeah. thing in diet, having the right amount of energy on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it always, I know we have, pro- at least in you know, the Western world, we have problems, mm-hmm. you know, huge problems with obesity and metabolic yes. disease. Yep. And most metabolic disease is, is derived from mm-hmm. obesity. So they're, they're seen as two separate things, but I struggle to differentiate them in mm-hmm. my own mind. You know, if you um, type two diabetes is probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest health concerns yeah. that we have, and if you can um, if you can prevent people from becoming obese, you, you you'll probably mm-hmm. largely be able to you know prevent a lot of cases of type two diabetes. Sure. So sure. they're they're linked there together, mm-hmm. and and the main root cause of that, you know, it's not carbohydrate, it's not fat, it's it's not you know that that thing the obesity is caused by excess energy Energy. intake right
0: too many calories too many calories exactly
1: um and so that's the 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 main thing from a nutritional point of view Mm. that we're struggling with as a
0: so all of this debate between whether you know it's paleo the right thing or you know veganism or whatever other diet is flavor of the month
1: yeah all uh, all of the research really mm -hmm. the the good research in that that area Mm -hmm. points towards the fact that The best diet for somebody Mm -hmm. is a diet that they can stick to. If somebody's looking to lose weight, same Mm -hmm. with exercise, you know, the best exercise for somebody Mm -hmm. is something that will actually help somebody exercise. So for one Mm -hmm. person, that Mm -hmm. might be, you know, taking up martial arts. For another person, it might be going spinning. Mm -hmm. For another person, it might be, you know, walking to work or cycling Mm -hmm. to work and increasing, Mm -hmm. you know, energy expenditure and physical activity through those means. It's it's Mm -hmm. the same for diets. Pretty much all diets work in a very similar way. Right. you know mm-hmm. intermittent fasting it reduces mm-hmm. energy intake that's how it sure. works yes you know if it's a long-term kind mm-hmm. of chronics you know fairly small energy deficit mm-hmm. you know reducing 500 500- calories every day Mm -hmm. that that works in the same way you're reducing you know energy intake low Mm -hmm. carbohydrate Mm -hmm. diet it reduces energy intake the difference between Mm -hmm. them is how easy is it to stick to yeah so
0: so some people are going to find one suits them better than another completely
1: yeah Um, completely so somebody might you know they might really mm -hmm. um do well on a low carbohydrate diet you know Mm -hmm. high fat low carbohydrate diets are quite you know popular Mm -hmm. at Mm. the moment you know uh government recommendations are Mm -hmm. you know having quite you know, high levels of carbohydrate, perhaps moderating your energy intake. Mm. So they'll, they'll all work. I think the one consideration that doesn't often get talked about really is also mm. the environmental impact of some of those kind of choices. So right, yes. time we start mm-hmm. leaning towards very mm-hmm. high protein, high fat diets, mm-hmm. there probably will be an environmental impact mm-hmm. from the production of often meat Based proteins and, and all of the kind of sure. you know, yeah. care of livestock, you know, transport mm-hmm. of livestock and all those environmental issues. So I think for, for me, mm-hmm. um, learning about energy balance would be mm-hmm. the number one thing for yes. general nutrition. And mm-hmm. I think we should be teaching it at primary school. Mm. You know, we should be teaching mm-hmm. people how to cook, how, mm-hmm. to, um, how to use raw food ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, if you use food ingredients that have a lower mm-hmm. energy density, you know, so plant foods, you know, even meats and you know, mm-hmm. you know those sort of products, um, you can you can you can moderate people's energy intake mm-hmm. without actually forcing them to do stuff. Excellent. A little bit of physical activity as yes. well. At the same time, you have to have to have that because there are benefits of physical activity, activity. outside yep. of the energy balance benefits. Yes. So you yeah,
0: might... absolutely. I mean, that's something that I keep keep going on about is sometimes people sort of link physical activity to to weight loss and that seems to be sort of the 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 number one reason to do it i would say actually the benefits are far far wider yeah it's not just about losing weight
1: yeah both physical physical and mental health benefits for exercise i think and Mm -hmm. um that's i think really important um you know for everyone
0: so what again while we're on the topic of i mean sort of going into weight loss a little bit their sort of general weight loss this applies equally to anyone whether you're trying to lose weight for for a fight or for just in general life um what would you say to people who are convinced that um sort of different nutrients have different um hormonal or metabolic effects and that you know the low carb high protein diet is sort of the you know the one true way or something like that. What's, what's your perspective on, on all of that? Um,
1: I mm-hmm. don't think there's really any evidence to say that there is one mm-hmm. way. I mean, there, there definitely will be different um, metabolic and hormonal effects of, sure. of different mm-hmm. diets, yeah. for sure, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to uh, reduce someone's insulin sensitivity, mm-hmm. which is you know, making them more metabolically unhealthy, we would consider, one, mm-hmm. one way to do that is to drastically increase their fat intake, or reduce their carbohydrate intake. So right. if, you, if, you, if you have a low carbohydrate diet, mm-hmm. you do change people's metabolic mm-hmm. um, capabilities. So they're less able to handle carbohydrate. But then the counter argument is if they're consuming a low carbohydrate diet, they don't need to handle carbohydrate. Mm because they're not consuming any carbohydrates. So that's what I mean about our own flexibility. You know, we can adapt to those different diets. So now I think Mm -hmm. the the hormonal and metabolic effects are largely redundant in my mind when we think Mm -hmm. about general population, the whole population. The important thing is what can you do to reduce energy intake? And and that's the most Mm -hmm. important thing. There are differences Mm -hmm. with athletes, I have to say that. So general population, it it doesn't really matter. Mm It's just get the energy yeah. deficit there if somebody's trying yeah. mm-hmm. to lose weight, or yeah. have an appropriate calorie intake if you're right. trying to maintain mm-hmm. weight. So it's that balance of what's in and out. I always yeah. think of kind of energy balance mm-hmm. like your bank balance.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, on a on a day to day basis, what goes in and goes out doesn't matter mm-hmm. that much. What you look at is the, the end of the month and go, yes. you know. Am I in a surplus? <laughs> have, yeah. I, have I got loads of money left over? Yeah. You know, and in the kind of yeah. energy balance scenario, yeah. that's, you know, accumulation of body fat. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, am I, am I in, in, mm-hmm. in the red? Have mm-hmm. I got not much, you know, mm-hmm. left over? I've really mm-hmm. delved into my stores, you know, and I've reduced my bank balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I think about it that way, and I think you can, as an mm-hmm. analogy, it works quite well because, you know, you and I mm-hmm. probably are trying to achieve the same thing. We're trying to achieve mm-hmm. an, an energy balance, mm-hmm. you know. I'm, I'm not looking to lose or gain weight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're looking to lose or gain weight, Rosie, but let's assume you're not, mm-hmm. you're assuming to maintain mm-hmm. weight, but, but the different inputs and outputs into your Bank balance, as such, Mm -hmm. will be different to my inputs and outputs, you know, so I Mm -hmm. might cycle to work every Mm -hmm. day and that that gives me a little bit more energy expenditure, Mm -hmm. burning energy, Mm -hmm. you know, but then maybe I also, you know, like a fish and chips on a Friday (laughs) so there's a little bit more coming into my bank that way. So how you achieve Mm -hmm. that overall bank balance Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. The important thing is are are you in balance? Yeah, but from Excellent. an athlete point of view there yeah. are differences in my mind.
0: So so let's talk about some of those differences and how things might be different if you're an athlete compared to a regular person.
1: Yeah. So um, I mean the, the 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 main one really is although there's a few I guess. So being an athlete mm-hmm. naturally increases your energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you have to consider is that an athlete will have a higher overall energy intake mm-hmm. than a non-athlete, mm-hmm. if you're comparing like for like, body mm-hmm. size and composition. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also specific differences in the diet mm-hmm. that you need to account for in that mm-hmm. athlete. So mm-hmm. the, the first and perhaps most obvious one is um, related to you know, an additional need for protein. So mm-hmm. athletes have a higher protein mm-hmm. requirement than non-athletes. Mm-hmm. That's not normally a problem when I look at athletes' diets. Mm-hmm. So there's not many athletes that are mm-hmm. um, ha- having very low protein intakes. Most, if any, have more than we would recommend. Mm-hmm. So um, the kind of scientific consensus mm-hmm. on what's adequate for, mm-hmm. for, a, for an athlete, and mm-hmm. I'm being very generic in the term athlete mm-hmm. over, across the board, is probably somewhere between 1.2 and, and 2 grams of protein mm-hmm. per kilogram of body mass. Mm-hmm. Per day. So if you're talking about an 80 kilo athlete, that's, mm-hmm. you know, up to a kind of maximum of about 160 grams mm-hmm. of protein a day. Um, if that same athlete is consuming mm-hmm. four meals, let's say, in mm-hmm. a day, that's an average of about 40 grams of protein per mm-hmm. per meal. So it's, right. it's not a, and that's a, you know, an upper limit, you know, yep. the lower limit, you're probably more like 30, 30 grams per meal. Um, that's not a difficult amount to achieve in an athlete. Sure. Um, so that's the first nutrient to consider. That the second would mm-hmm. be would be carbohydrate, and mm-hmm. for sure, in my view, and in in the view of m- most scientists, at least, the consensus mm-hmm. is that athletes generally have a, a slightly higher carbohydrate requirement compared to non-athletes.
0: Let's talk about why why that might be, because I mean, again, you hear stories of you know, like these ultra endurance athletes who are you know, on a super low carb diet and they do really well and everything like that. Why in particular for maybe martial artists or combat sports athletes,
1: would carbohydrates yeah. be particularly relevant? I think the first thing to say there is like you do often mm-hmm. hear these stories and this doesn't apply just mm-hmm. to carbohydrates. Yep. This, is, this mm-hmm. is to any dietary yep. strategy or any mm-hmm. um, training strategy yep. as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, you hear these um, anecdotal stories mm-hmm. of an athlete who does XYZ and I think the mm-hmm. the important point to raise there is kind of the hierarchy of scientific evidence <laughs> and anecdote comes at the very bottom mm-hmm. in terms of the quality yes. of that evidence yeah. um, and as a practitioner working with mm-hmm. athletes mm-hmm. you need to look a lot higher up the hierarchy to kind yeah. of like scientific papers, case reports are kind of very mm-hmm. you know lowest level of evidence all the way up to things like Meta analyses which take yep. loads of scientific studies and pull, the, pull yeah. them together and work out what yeah. the overall and effect. I
0: suppose with yes. an anecdote it's not even a case report is it because no. you haven't actually verified any of this <laughs> exactly um, so, yeah. exactly
1: but, but <laughs> as we talked about earlier mm-hmm. there seem to be so many nutrition yes. and you know training specialists everyone mm-hmm. particularly with nutrition everyone's an expert mm-hmm. you know and if if somebody has a large you know body of followers mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that on social media they can you know tweet things like anecdote and it can, yeah. it can be taken as gospel yeah. and used mm-hmm. by many, many athletes. So I think it's important to say that first of all. Yes. Um, yeah. But to, to answer the question, your, mm-hmm. your requirement for carbohydrate mm-hmm. will pretty much entirely depend on the intensity and the nature of the exercise mm-hmm. that you're actually doing as part of your training. So if, for example, you take a, um, you know, an ultra endurance athlete, mm-hmm. the majority of their work is done at a very, very low intensity. <laughs> so the majority of that exercise will mm-hmm. be fueled through metabolism of fat, and the energy will mm-hmm. be supplied through metabolism of fat. As, as soon as you start doing anything that's of shorter duration, and particularly mm-hmm. martial arts and mixed martial arts are entirely in this you know, slightly shorter duration, pretty high intensity activity, mm-hmm. the majority of the fuel yeah. that provides mm-hmm. the energy for that activity will mm-hmm. be from either you know, carbohydrate. And that's mm-hmm. you know either you know anaerobic or full oxidative mm-hmm. um, metabolism of carbohydrate and glycogen that's that's present in muscle and liver, mm-hmm. or you know the use of um, ATP and phosphocreatine stores that are you know in the muscle already. Um, we can provide carbohydrate from outside of the muscle as well through mm-hmm. you know drinks and foods that we can consume during exercise. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of, particularly if you take, you know MMA fight. Yeah, nutrition and the kind of metabolic requirements there, mm-hmm. the vast majority of that energy will come from glycogen breakdown. So mm-hmm. that means that having adequate carbohydrate around your training is really, really, really important because when you fight and compete, yep. you need to be able to use mm-hmm. carbohydrate, glycogen that's in the muscle or in the liver, mm-hmm. you know, in the body already. If you train, Mm-hmm. with low glycogen availability or low carbohydrate diets, mm-hmm. if you're doing your training at that time, mm-hmm. you're not training those energy systems that use right. those fuels. So that means when it comes to fight time, your you know internal ability to utilize carbohydrate mm-hmm. as an energy source is impaired. Right. So that's something that I think personally is really important to emphasize to fighters. Yeah. I know from mm-hmm. kind of my own you know discussions with fighters mm-hmm. and seeing what they do a lot of people use low carbohydrate diets really absolutely
0: regularly. i was going to say i mean the low carbohydrate thing is i mean it's almost a religion in some um, yes. in some circles it's how you know you cut carbohydrates and uh, and everything's great um, and there are a lot of people who swear that actually they feel really good when they're on a low carbohydrate diet um, and i mean Again, I suppose you see a lot of people using cutting carbohydrates as part of their weight cut process as well, yeah. which is something that I want to come on to um again so so what we're saying here is that actually, even if that feels good at the time and if it seems to work in terms of the the weight cut, yeah this isn't m- metabolically optimal you, you could be achieving more from from that same amount of training if you're fueling with carbohydrates
1: yeah. Well, you probably would achieve a little bit more from the training, but for me mm-hmm. the, the, the training mm-hmm. isn't the important thing here. Yeah. It's the, um, it's the activity of the me- metabolic pathways. Right. And I don't want to go into too much kind yeah. of scientific detail, mm-hmm. but basically if, if we're looking at breaking mm-hmm. down breaking down glycogen, yeah. particularly, mm-hmm. you know, anaerobically, so um, glycogen is broken down initially anaerobically, whether it's, you know, yep. whether lactate is formed or whether it mm-hmm. goes into the Krebs cycle for aerobic metabolism, yes. it's always broken down anaerobically. But the enzymes and all of the machinery that allows that process to happen, mm-hmm. um, and one of the key kind of components there is the um, uh, PDH, so pyruvate dehydrogenase mm-hmm. complex, and the activity of that and the ability of that to break down mm-hmm. all of, you know, that that glycogen and, and mm-hmm. utilize and make use of glycogen yep. is, is impaired if you don't have carbohydrate available when you're training. Right. So it's basically use it or lose it,
0: isn't it? If you're not using that machinery. It then is, exactly.
1: And that's what you're okay. going to need when you're in, mm-hmm. in the fight. You know? It's like yeah. having a sword that you're going to use in a battle mm-hmm. that you never use ever in training and mm-hmm. you never look after it, you don't sharpen it ever, mm-hmm. and you come to use it in your, in your battle and it's, and it's you know, rusty, it's rusty, <laughs> and rusty and isn't yes. sharp. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's the same with using, using carbohydrates. So one of the strategies mm-hmm. that is, is used, um, pretty effectively mm-hmm. in, um, in, in other sports is mm-hmm. periodizing the intake of nutrients. So having specific mm-hmm. training sessions where mm-hmm. carbohydrate availability is really high mm-hmm. and i you know, colleagues and researchers at other universities, um, have, have, particularly guys up at, um, Liverpool John Moore's university, mm-hmm. um, James Morton and his group have, have shown quite nicely that you can periodize athletes' nutritional mm-hmm. intake to make use of both mm-hmm. sides of that. So you can, because you're right, and we've mm-hmm. t- talked about it already, low, low carbohydrate is, is, is a, good, it's a good and viable strategy for losing weight. So if you've got somebody mm-hmm. who's trying to lose weight, mm-hmm then it's a good strategy to use. But Mm -hmm. if they're also not sharpening that tool Tool. to be able to use come fight time, it's a negative. So you're trying to balance these two different things, aren't you? Yeah, you can periodize it. So you can have sessions, key sessions, Mm -hmm. that, you know, where you really need to be um, working Mm -hmm. hard. So whether that's, you know, fight Mm -hmm. training or shark tank training, all the Mm -hmm. things that guys do, where you need high carbohydrate Mm -hmm. availability Mm -hmm. because you're doing that level of activity where it's required. Then that that can be used, and you know you can have high carbohydrate availability around those sessions. Mm-hmm. In other sessions, where you know maybe it's you know your focus on weight loss and you're doing you know some mm-hmm. long runs or you know mm-hmm. pad work that's not so high intensity mm-hmm. to just get a bit of energy expenditure mm-hmm. and calorie burn, you can have lower carbohydrate availability around around those sessions. And I know they've used these type of strategies quite well with you know people like cyclists in mm. you know Team Sky. Uh, as it was previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're, they're strategies that are viable, but Excellent. again, you know, you really need to consider that overall effect of the diet.
0: Fantastic. Because um, we talked a little bit, last time we had a conversation, I know that we, we were talking about the difference between the effect of something acutely. So if you've got, for example, a low carbohydrate diet, the effect that has at the time, and then the effect, the chronic effect that has so the effect that has when you adapt to it yeah um because i know there's a lot of um research papers that have looked at the effect of low carbohydrate diets on performance um, and a lot of those are looking at the acute effect yeah. so if you if you're trying to perform in a low carbohydrate state they tend to find that you don't perform so well surprise surprise yeah. um <clears throat> But uh, one of the things that we've talked about that sometimes isn't mentioned is the, like I say, the longer term effects as well.
1: Um, yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, I think there is that disconnect between um, what, what's needed to enhance, you know, kind of training or competition performance mm-hmm. or maximize that performance and mm-hmm. what's needed to maximize the adaptation to to exercise and those mm-hmm. two concepts from a nutritional standpoint are very different and for mm-hmm. for a, an MMA athlete you know how you perform on a Wednesday morning mm-hmm. squad training session yes. is kind of irrelevant it's important yeah. but it's it's training towards yeah. the fight yeah. you know in the same way if in that session you get tapped out yeah you might be frustrated and you might be annoyed by it but it doesn't matter ultimately yeah. it's all about training and adapting and becoming mm-hmm. better so that when you step in the cage or you step on the mat mm-hmm. you are in an optimal position and it's the same with nutrition it's it's the yeah. concept of having a different approach slightly for training mm-hmm. and for competition to maximize both of both of those responses really um but I think Whilst we're on the concept of Mm. low carbohydrate training, Mm. the the important thing to emphasize is that there are studies that have been done, Mm. and of course, they haven't been done in MMA athletes because there's Mm -hmm. hardly any studies in MMA athletes. These -hmm. studies have been done in cyclists, but when they they put people on a low carbohydrate diet, Mm -hmm. and I'm talking about only about a week's worth of low carbohydrate Mm -hmm. diet, they become more efficient at utilizing fat, you know, and there Mm -hmm. are some benefits there. But even if they give them a day's worth of full carbohydrate intake, mm-hmm. you know, really, really high carbohydrate intake mm-hmm. to resynthesize synthesize all the muscle and liver glycogen that mm-hmm. they, they had before they went on the low carbohydrate yeah. diet, when they then get them to perform, when they get them to perform high intensity activity and they you know, measure some of these um, mm-hmm. markers of, of actually using glycogen, um, yeah. they, they don't perform as well. So even refeeding the carbohydrate totally. back If you've done the training without the availability, Mm -hmm. you don't regain that ability. That's really interesting
0: because actually, and again, coming into sort of talking about the weight cut process, a lot of athletes will, will do exactly that when it comes to a weight cut, they'll have maybe a week of fairly low carbohydrate intake. And, um, I mean, why, why would athletes do that as part of the weight cut process?
1: Why is Yeah, that I mean, it is so a logical process and certainly it's something that I've mm-hmm. used in the yeah. past for myself mm-hmm. and, and for others before. Mm-hmm. I think um, it, it, you, have, you have glycogen that's stored in mm-hmm. muscle and with a well-trained athlete, that's, you know, depending on their, you know, amount of muscle they've got, mm-hmm. you're probably talking about 500 to 600 grams of glycogen. Mm-hmm. So half a kilo, roughly, mm-hmm. of, of, of glycogen. Um, In in muscle, Mm -hmm. there's then a further, you know, 100, 120 grams probably Mm -hmm. in your liver as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that glycogen Mm -hmm. is stored with water. So, it's it's osmotic, so that means it holds water in the muscle. So, when that glycogen is released from muscle, Mm -hmm. there's no longer an osmotic stimulus to Mm -hmm. hold that water in the muscle. So, some of the water is, is released. And, I mean... I think the the amount that's released is is you know fairly controversial. There are numbers out there, so people say right. three grams of water <laughs> yeah. for every one gram of glycogen, but it's not as clear cut as that. Yeah, they're largely they're largely plucked out of, out right. of the air a little mm-hmm. bit. There is some science, but I would say probably mm-hmm. that isn't too far off. If you get yeah. somebody, mm-hmm. I mean you'll have experienced it as well. If you get somebody to cut out mm-hmm. carbohydrate, yeah. then um, you know they, they do lose probably um, a, a good amount of of, of so that's weight.
0: the when somebody starts doing a, a keto diet or something like that that's yeah. the weight loss that you lose instantly in that first week or so yeah I exactly
1: go. i mean some of that will also be from some level of energy deficiency yeah. mm-hmm. probably changes in in um kind mm-hmm. of electrolyte sodium and potassium intake that will also right mm-hmm. lose some yeah. some weight as well that isn't related to substrate but yeah a, a large proportion mm-hmm. of it i think will be is the glycogen. glycogen and associated mm-hmm. water and that's a pretty um it's mm-hmm. a pretty well-used yeah. and um, good method of, of mm-hmm. losing weight for for weighing. I think the mm-hmm. interesting thing, and the really interesting thing for me, mm-hmm. is that we don't really know much about how easy it is to resynthesize that glycogen. Mm. So That's
0: interesting, because, I mean, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of talk about that, and people saying, oh, if you just do it like this, everything will be fine. Um,
1: yeah, well, we take, you, so mm. this is... Borrowing research from other areas. Yes. So mm-hmm. weight cutting or you know, rapid weight loss, as I mm-hmm. like to call it, yeah. um, is a very kind of specific and niche mm-hmm. area of you know, sports, nutrition and physiology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for me, most of what we know about resynthesizing glycogen mm-hmm. or building glycogen back up in the muscle yeah. is, is all taken from studies that have used exercise as a stimulus to lose glycogen. So if yeah. you if you mm-hmm. take somebody and you glycogen deplete them through exercise, mm-hmm. you can you know you can probably recover those glycogen stores within 24 to 36 hours, right? Probably, yeah. Um, but we see this um, exercise stimulated increasing mm-hmm. glycogen synthesis straight after exercise. So a lot of that glycogen resynthesis happens in the couple of hours after exercise. With weight cutting with rapid weight yep. loss, mm-hmm. you don't have that exercise stimulus. So the rate of glycogen mm-hmm. resynthesis, certainly in that first couple of hours after mm-hmm. making weight, I think will be a lot slower. Um, there's only one study that I know of, it's a relatively old study done in the 80s mm-hmm. or 90s, I think, using wrestlers as a, mm-hmm. a cohort, where they got people to you know, weight cut using things like low carbohydrate diets, dehydration, etc., mm-hmm. etc., et and actually measured muscle glycogen mm-hmm. and the change in muscle glycogen. Um, and I think i can 't remember the time period it was between making weight and the simulated mm-hmm. competition. I think it was a, a day or so, mm-hmm. but their muscle glycogen was nowhere near back up to what it was in the start interesting so yeah. I, I wonder and I mean that was with them kind of having some of their own um, you know practices and, and things like that so mm-hmm. the, the nutrition wasn 't optimal, but I wonder how um, how well fighters do actually resynthesize mm-hmm. their glycogen because they've gained the weight back doesn't mean they've resynthesized the yes. the, the, the the metabolic yeah. stores. Um,
0: Excellent. So I mean if we to to talk about what optimal might look like in that case. So in terms of the the carbohydrate element of a, a weight how Roughly speaking, and I know every case is gonna be a little bit different, but roughly speaking, how would you advise a fighter um, who's, who's looking to, obviously they, they want to maximize the amount of weight that they can lose and then regain, um, but at the same time yeah. avoiding some of these effects of the, the prolonged low carbohydrate effect.
1: Yeah, I think um, most, most fighters would be having a taper in that last couple of days mm-hmm. anyway. So I think it's gonna have less of an effect if you're using it as a rapid weight loss strategy. Mm -hmm. I think if you're using it alongside your highest quality training, where you're really trying to get ready for the for the, for the fight, mm-hmm. then I think that's where it would really dampen those kind of adaptive responses and that would put you at a potential mm-hmm. disadvantage in the fight. If you're using it in the two or three days before making weight, right. I don't think it would cause too much of an issue because you're not doing mm-hmm. your high quality training then. You mm-hmm. might do the odd pad session, you might do yeah. the odd run on a treadmill, mm-hmm. you, know, you might do a little bit of skipping, something like that. But mm-hmm. the most of the training is done most of the high-quality, high-intensity stuff is done, mm-hmm. but that's not the approach that a lot mm-hmm. of fighters take. A lot of mm-hmm. fighters will use it throughout the the the, the training camp, yeah. you know. And I think it's really um, really interesting mm-hmm. to see it as a concept, you know. Mm-hmm. Most of the tr- traditional training camp for a fighter seems to be really about losing weight. Yes, you know, the focus isn't on the fight. The focus isn't on adapting to the mm-hmm. training stimulus that the coach or the mm-hmm. fighters got got in place. It's about losing weight. Mm. And I think that that's something that we as a sport need to really start rethinking. You know, mm. so people should be coming into fight camp in decent shape. Yeah, they shouldn't have a large amount of body fat to shift. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the focus of the training is no mm. longer on actually getting better; it's about getting lighter. So I think that that's a really important concept. Yeah. And, and
0: I suppose it's hard to do the. It's hard to do the two at the same time. Exactly, because you're looking at a whole almost contradictory. Yeah, effects. going on at the same time. Completely.
1: But I think as a kind of rapid weight loss strategy, Mm that the the low carb kind of approach is actually a fairly safe one.
0: But you'd be be looking at um, two to three days rather than say seven days, which again, I've also seen.
1: um, Yeah, yeah, no, I've seen it it too. mm -hmm. But yeah, probably two to three days would would be Mm -hmm. about where I would put it. You you need to have, um, if you have a training session that is pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Three days out from mm-hmm. from from weighing in, mm-hmm. um, and then you don't, you know, whole body training session using all muscles, mm-hmm. muscle groups. You can you can deplete muscle glycogen mm-hmm. through that. So rather mm-hmm. than having to have a really prolonged low carb mm-hmm. diet to bring it down mm-hmm. slowly, you can deplete the muscle, and then over the next two or three days through you know small little just exercise where you're just turning over a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you can you can further deplete those stores. So I think that's that's probably the approach i would take um but yeah certainly no more than maybe four days is, is 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 warranted really
0: excellent so while we're on the subject of weight cutting then um let's let's talk about the big one the uh the whole issue with dehydration um and i mean you must have seen some um well so Let's put it this way. Tell, tell me about some of, the, some of the worst examples you've seen of, uh, of how, thing, how people have got things wrong.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you only have to kind of read the news about whatever the latest mm-hmm. event is to see when, how people have got it wrong. Yes. It's pretty much yeah. uh, almost... At it's least a, it's a big, regular at least, occurrence, isn't you know, it? UFC, um, Bellator, you know, mm-hmm. those, those, those big events pretty much... You know, week in, week out, there's somebody not making yeah. weight or there's somebody being pulled from a fight card because of health mm-hmm. concerns around the making weight process. Yes. Um, I think that's, as as a, as a sport, that's MMA's biggest mm-hmm. biggest battle, dirtiest secret, yeah. whatever you want to call it. It's mm-hmm. not really much of a secret anymore. No. Um, and I think...
0: I mean, I'm forever telling people, that actually, this is one of the biggest risks associated yeah. with MMA. It's, yeah, it's it's, certainly
1: is, acute, acute yeah. risk. It's mm-hmm. probably bigger than the fight itself. Yes. Probably. Mm. I mean, I i don't know but the, the, there are recorded cases of quite a few people mm-hmm. dying yeah through the you know the process weight of cut, making yeah. weight i think mm-hmm. so perhaps someone else can actually get the numbers yeah false, no I, I know that I there have, there are there more have people, been cases there are mm-hmm. more people that have died cutting weight than they have actually in the cage mm-hmm. um and i think that, i'd have to check but yeah. i i think you're you're probably right
0: there um,
1: and we're talking about a sport yeah. where the the idea is to render somebody unconscious <laughs> yeah so um, yeah
0: that, so that think think must say
1: something it's a pretty um, yeah. It's, 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 it's an important issue mm. to really um, discuss and think about and um, m- most of the most of the dangers of cutting mm-hmm. weight are as you said associated with dehydration and also heat exposure right um, I, I don't know what the answer to the problem is mm-hmm. in all honesty Rosie, we, mm-hmm. um, we did a, a, there was a student I was working with at um, Leeds Beckett University, mm-hmm. um, Matthew Hillier, who's also, he's mm-hmm. an MMA, um, amateur MMA athlete. And um, he, as part of his masters, wanted to mm-hmm. do some research into mm-hmm. you know weight cutting and practices and prevalence and magnitude and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And we've just published a paper recently and there was some 300 odd MMA mm-hmm. athletes, amateur, mm-hmm. professional, male, female, Um, And and if you look at the real extremes of how much Mm -hmm. weight people lose, you know, people are losing up to 20% of body weight.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, I've I've heard interviews with other fighters or, you know, practitioners where they've almost kind of um, really kind of, you know, been showing off about how much they actually lose. Um, Yes. But I think we should be going in the opposite direction. We should Mm -hmm. be trying to figure out ways that we can level the playing field without having people you know, lose mm-hmm. drastic amounts of weight because the really, I think, mm-hmm. interesting thing, and I spend a lot of time, you know, with scientists and people working in, you know, a whole mm-hmm. host of other different sports, and to them, it's just a completely foreign con- concept, you know, mm. to, yes. to us, it's, yeah. it's normal, it's, it's what happens, yeah. Yeah.
0: You know? And, uh, I mean, it's, the thing is, it's very easy for people from outside the sport to look at that and say, well, why would you do that? And, I mean, I've seen a lot of people, Perhaps they understand the science, and the nutrition, and everything like that. They maybe don't understand the sports so well. And the initial knee jerk reaction is well, don't cut weight. Yeah. You know, don't, just fight at your natural weight, it's better for you. Um, but then you point out well, actually, fighting people who may turn up on fight night 20 pounds heavier than you are, yep. that's not particularly good for your health either. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's got to be a balance here. So hasn't that there? has to be a rule. Yeah. That has to be yeah. a
1: rule. A rule change, mm. and there has yeah. to um, has to be a way of yes. regulating things, mm. such that because if 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 somebody is fighting someone else, mm-hmm. if their opponent doesn't cut weight. Mm-hmm and they don't cut weight, yeah. then they're at the yeah. same place. Everyone's
0: better off if, if nobody does yeah. it.
1: If everybody yeah. cuts 10% of their body weight, then yeah. everybody needs to cut 10% of their body yeah. weight to do that. Yeah. So looking at um, rule changes to try and really enforce that, yeah. and that has to be the promotions. Mm-hmm. So if you look at um, 1FC yes. and their yeah. kind of rule changes around, around making mm-hmm. weight, that, that seems to have helped quite a lot. In, in that promotion, mm. but it's a big, big time and money mm-hmm. commitment from the promotion to actually do that. Also, you've got to think of it the other way. You know, if somebody doesn't adhere to those rules, yeah. they have to be cut from the card. Yeah, But that doesn't happen. happen. Yeah, Because it's in everybody's interest for the fight to take place. Mm-hmm. If I'm fighting somebody who hasn't made weight, mm-hmm. if I don't fight them, I don't get paid in a lot of cases. Yeah. You know, so the fighter who is, um, accepting, fighting somebody that's yeah. probably a lot heavier mm-hmm. than them yes. is financially motivated to to do, to, to do that. The organisation who will make money from tickets and pay-per-views yeah. potentially on the basis of that person being on or off the card mm-hmm. is also financially mm. motivated to actually have that person on the card. Mm. So it's a really difficult, sticky position. Yeah, um, and of
0: course, the problem is fighters then know that going going into a way. So they say, well... I'll probably get to fight anyway, if I, if I miss weight by a bit, it might cost me some money, yeah. but I'll probably get to fight anyway, yeah. um, and obviously, when you win, most of the fans don't care.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, I think, um, you know, the, the, like you say, there is, there is, I think, at least with mixed martial arts, anything where mm-hmm. you have to carry the other person's body weight, yeah. I think there is, uh, there is generally an advantage to being, sure. being heavier. Yeah. You know, I remember um, working with one athlete, and um, he was fighting in Poland, and um, mm. I think he was fighting it. It was either welterweight or seventy-five kilos. It might have been a catchweight, and he, mm. and he fought a guy who didn't—he didn't cut any weight.
0: Yeah.
1: And so he was a good mm-hmm. eight to ten kilos heavier because yeah. the guy was actually in yeah. below the weight, and it was—it was like watching a, um, a, a man against a child. Yeah. You know, in terms of how the fight progressed, that's not going to happen in every case you know sure. it depends on somebody's tactics that's it. Um, and I in did, some sports yeah. it'll be less you know so boxing probably it's less of an issue mm-hmm. you know you can you can have a bit of a weight difference mm-hmm. you know because there are other ways of other tactics of you know fighting mm. but as soon as you have to carry somebody else's body weight then their body weight is relevant mm. um, so yeah I think it's a it's a wholesale change of um, people's thinking on that and something that needs regulating
0: sure so you'd favor rules. Like the ones introduced
1: by, by one FC, do you think I think so, yeah, and I think mm-hmm. um, certainly the, what I would like to see is the UFC and the mm-hmm. you know performance institutes that are you know springing up yeah. in various different continents. Mm-hmm. I think there's one in China now mm-hmm. um, and there's I, I know a, a, a researcher who's researched in the area of um, kind of weight category sports. He's a BJJ athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's actually working there now, in, I think Shanghai.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, so
1: they're mm-hmm. starting one up there, I believe. And um, you know, so there's there's a number of different PIs, yeah. and I think mm-hmm. the UFC could really use those to, you know, increase mm-hmm. knowledge yeah. and scientific evidence in in combat sports, mm-hmm. but also to try and instigate ways of regulating these things. So, and I think the bigger organisations. You know, I think they've almost got uh, a responsibility to try and do those. If it's mm. a small level show, yeah. it's going to be virtually impossible to do. Yeah. Um, but the big but, level shows could really lead the way but and I think, push
0: yeah, that. You, and you also see a lot of the, the fighters on the smaller shows who are saying things like, "Well, you've got to get good at weight cutting because if you ever make it to the big shows, then you'll have to you have to do it." So it's almost like people are more inclined to to weight cut on the smaller shows
1: because it's the done thing yeah it's uh, exactly and i think so if if you have if if you have that you know leading shows and you know yeah. leading kind of you know promotions mm-hmm. who are having these regulations in place then <clears> that should hopefully trickle down to the others where they can't necessarily regulate regulate yeah. so much um
0: there have been a couple of uh, potential solutions to this that that some, that often get proposed, and there's a, a, a couple of persistent things that come up. Um, I mean, one is the question of same-day weigh-ins, and every time this question comes up, somebody will say, "Well, why don't they just weigh the fighters on their way to the to the cage?" Um, what do you reckon about that?
1: I reckon that's uh, probably as dangerous, or if not more dangerous, because if you if you only weigh somebody on the day of the of the fight, then <laughs> if that person is really motivated to you know, mm-hmm. lose a lot of weight, drastic mm-hmm. tactics, you mm-hmm. know, lots of dehydration, lots of heat exposure. Mm-hmm. A, they have the same issues mm-hmm. when they're actually making weight yeah. as before. So you haven't mm-hmm. fixed that problem. Yeah. They still have the health complications mm-hmm. associated mm-hmm. with, you know, you know, heat illness and, and dehydration. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they also have the added risk mm-hmm. of probably going into the fight with those same mm-hmm. levels of deficit.
0: I suppose the argument is that there's less of an incentive because the
1: dehydration
0: would have more of an effect on your performance
1: yeah. because
0: you haven't got ch- time to recover from it. So there's less of an incentive to lose as much weight.
1: Yeah. I think um, that the, the, easy thing to do here to be go, well, you know, regress to the mean. Mm-hmm. So if we say, let's look at, um, you know, amateur boxing that has a lot shorter yeah. weight in regulations or lightweight rowing you know, yeah. as an Olympic mm-hmm. sport yeah. that, you know, has got weight regulations and normally there's only a couple of hours to, yeah. to recover mm-hmm. um or, or judo or mm-hmm. you know brazilian jiu-jitsu yes. yeah. you know and if you look at how much weight those athletes lose they do on average lose less yes but there will always be somebody who doesn't
0: yes yeah <laughs> there are still people losing weight
1: yeah and yeah. you know in, in all of those sports where I have worked mm-hmm. I know people that yeah. have lost large amount, yeah. lost large amounts mm-hmm. and have then gone into that competition mm-hmm. yeah. in that state and that's where if you've got high levels yeah. of dehydration particularly mm-hmm. you know with a combat sport where mm-hmm. you are receiving blows to the head regularly yeah you know there, there are potential there are potential implications and like I suppose
0: that. even with the best will in the world you can plan your diet perfectly but if it doesn't quite go to plan then you wake up heavy on the day of the fight and there's you know if there's a title on the line you're still going to get in the sauna
1: yeah so exactly. i think exactly. it's, yeah i think we're probably we're not worried about people that are a half a kilo a kilo out here or there yeah you know we're we're, we're probably you know people that are north of losing 10 percent of their body weight yes and yeah. haven't used appropriate techniques to do that. So there are yeah. ways of losing body weight that don't mm-hmm. necessarily draw in those stores that are more dangerous. So we talked about yeah. carbohydrate. Yeah. There isn't really a health concern to yes. cutting carbohydrate out for a couple of days. Yeah. You might mm-hmm. not perform so well in the fight if you can't resynthesize all that. Yeah. But you're probably not going to, you know, have really severe health consequences mm-hmm. of, of doing that. Mm-hmm. Same with um you know using certain nutritional strategies to perhaps mm-hmm. empty out the GI tract and ensure that you, you don't mm-hmm. you don't have anything, you know, clogging you up. You mm-hmm. can probably use it, lose a lose a couple of kilos or a kilo or so just, just through those sort of mm. methods. Um you know, I've heard of fighters in the past this is quite a while back, uh, even kind of getting clonic irrigation before, <laughs> before going into like weigh-ins, you know, haircuts, things like that, you know, the, the drastic things. And then there's the, the dangerous things you hear about yeah. like, you know, bloodletting or going and giving blood oh, before weigh-ins. Creepy. So, you know, there's, there's different levels of yes. techniques and I think... Mm-hmm. Tactics that revolve around you know losing carbohydrate and associated mm-hmm. water that's not having a role in in mm-hmm. kind of water balance really, uh, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. losing you know GI tract stores you mm-hmm. know um, that sort of stuff. You, you mm-hmm. haven't got so much risk there. Yeah, it, it's the guys that are using large amounts of heat exposure mm-hmm. and dehydration that are are, are potentially going to come cropper. Right. Um,
0: water loading. Um, so the strategy where people drink large amounts of water. For several days and then cut, cut it out, um, what, do you, what do you think about that? Does it work?
1: Is it a good idea it, is it, it there's a, There are a couple of studies out there now mm-hmm. um, that have uh, kind of published data, one mm-hmm. specifically in weight mm-hmm. category sports, and it does seem to offer a small benefit. Mm-hmm. The study that I know of that, um, that, that did it um, is by a, a guy called um, Reed Real. Um, is an Australian scientist who's mm-hmm. now working in a performance institute, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and so in his study, he showed that there was a, a small gain in weight mm-hmm. loss when you used water loading. He used, I think, 100 milliliters of water per kilogram of body mass. Mm-hmm. So for an 80, 85 kilo athlete, we're talking about eight to eight and a half liters of water a day. Right. Okay, that's probably on the lower end of mm-hmm. most of what, I've heard of other fighters using, you know, maybe 10, maybe 12 liters a day in some cases. Um, I think that there are real potential dangers with that technique. So there might be a small advantage. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that that advantage is is necessarily worth the risk. There Mm -hmm. are known cases of not (laughs) MMA athletes, I don't think, although there is, I think, one death that has been partially linked to water loading at least anecdotally Um, but there are cases where people have died Mm -hmm. as a result of consuming too much much water
0: water. and uh, what's the mechanism behind that how does that yeah
1: so so it's in situations well there's a number of situations that it can happen Mm -hmm. but in everyday life it's Mm -hmm. it's normally drinking at a rate above that you can excrete water so if you look at um, Mm -hmm. your kidney's ability to filter water mm-hmm. into the urine and, mm-hmm. and excrete it from the body, you're mm-hmm. at a maximum capacity of about a litre an hour, approximately, you know, so it's in that sort of mm-hmm. region. So anytime you drink at a rate that's above that, your body can mm-hmm. accumulate water. If you consume too much water, what, what you do is, is the water goes into your blood, mm-hmm. it dilutes the concentration of your blood, mm-hmm. and that leads to movement of water from the blood into all the cells of your body. So it can move into your muscle cells it can move into organs that generally isn't a problem you know mm-hmm. so Loads of water moves into your mm-hmm. biceps, for example, you know, there's plenty of room for it to expand. But one of the intracellular environments it moves into is, is your brain. And obviously, right. your brain is encased with your yeah. skull, so it doesn't have the capacity to expand as much as other mm-hmm. areas. And, and you can end up with, you know, um, you know bleed and, and, and ultimately, some, yeah. in some cases, death. And there are recorded cases of this type of thing. And, you know, um, probably the most high profile one that I know of. Um, I guess the most high profile one that people Mm -hmm. might have heard of is, is Leah Betts who um, died as a result of taking ecstasy. Um, But it was the, it was Mm -hmm. the hyponatremia or the water intoxication Mm -hmm. that was what actually, you know, caused the death. There's Mm -hmm. also, there was a radio station in Seattle, Mm -hmm. I think, or somewhere Mm -hmm. in the States Mm -hmm. uh, where they um, held a a water drinking competition um, called hold your Wii for a Wii Nintendo Wii. When they first came out and um, they gave, indiscriminate amounts of water, I think this is, this is my research uh, here consists of going on Wikipedia, so if people wanna read about that sort of thing, they can go on Wikipedia and read the, the same things, but you know, um, and the last person to go to the toilet was the winner, and you know, uh, fairly large amounts of water were consumed in fairly short periods of time, and, and that resulted in, unfortunately, the, the death of one of the contestants. Um, so it is a real problem that can happen. If you spread the water out over the day, it probably isn't an issue, mm-hmm. but probably, I think, is where we're at with the yes. evidence. If you're, yeah. if you're um, and this has happened in dieting mm-hmm. situations as well in the past, that again, there are recorded deaths. Mm-hmm. If, you, um, if you, as a, a fighter who perhaps doesn't have the, um, um, you know, nutrition physiology training and mm-hmm. understanding, think you've got to consume 10 litres of water mm-hmm. in a day, but you've perhaps only made it to six, you might right. force the other four liters down over the course of an hour or two. Ouch, yes. That's a situation where you can't excrete that water. Yep. You can't produce the urine to get rid of it. A large proportion mm-hmm. of it will stay in your body and will be moved into mm-hmm. cells and also the brain. And that's probably mm-hmm. the situation where, where people are, are, at, are at risk. Right. So, so yeah, I think there are, um, there are real concerns about that. I think there are also positives to having slightly higher water intake. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So things like um, reductions in appetite Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, there there probably is some increase in energy expenditure. Mm -hmm. um, But I think having a higher water intake and water loading are two different things things for me. And I I think I I would sit more on the side of a higher water intake, but not, you know, really pushing people to load water. Because I think, again, we're not talking about somebody who's got, uh, you know, a, a, a well qualified Practitioner working with them. We're talking about somebody who has got nobody working with them Reads something on the internet Mm -hmm. and does something that potentially You know can have Mm -hmm. a real, you know dangerous effect on their own health Um, Sure, so I I think I would I would advocate use with caution Yeah, definitely use with caution and and consider not using really But again if we go back Mm -hmm. to the point from before if we can change the regulations such that people aren't Aren't having to do that Yes then we yeah. remove the, the dangers mm-hmm. associated with with that mm-hmm. potential strategy.
0: Yeah. I mean every so often people mention the idea of hydration testing at weigh-ins as a way to uh, to reduce the uh, or to, to try and encourage fighters not to not to wake up. So if they know they're going to be hydration tested and there's either you know a financial penalty if they miss or in extreme circumstances they're disqualified. Um,
1: yeah.
0: How feasible is that?
1: So when, when people talk about hydration testing, generally what they mean is taking mm-hmm. a urine sample, looking, looking at the right. concentration mm-hmm. of that, that urine. And, and you know anyone mm-hmm. who's been an athlete in any way will know that the colour of their urine changes mm-hmm. on the basis of their hydration status. Mm-hmm. So, but that relationship isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. So you, you could produce a very dilute urine sample, mm-hmm. something that's very clear, but still be very mm-hmm. dehydrated, um, your urine is been basically a signal of, of what's going into your mouth in terms of water and fluids. Mm-hmm. So if you're very dehydrated and then you can, let's say you're, you've lost four kilos of, of water, but mm-hmm. you then consume one and a half liters of water mm-hmm. very, very quickly, you know, in mm-hmm. the course of 10 minutes, let's say, mm-hmm. which you could feasibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, some people anyway, most would need a little bit longer. You would mm-hmm. then produce a very dilute urine sample, mm-hmm. but that's because you've just consumed lots of water. Right. The, the change in kidney function means that you will produce a, a, a very dilute urine sample that would pass your hydration test, mm-hmm. but wouldn't necessarily detect the dehydration that is pre- present. So for me, probably mm-hmm. the only way of doing it is combining that hydration testing mm-hmm. with body mass measurements, right. and not body mass measurements on one day. We're talking over three or four days, I think. You know, multiple times and needing to be within a certain percentage of that Mm -hmm. that required weight, um, that that would be the probably the most difficult one to 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 cheat almost, Um, because you'd be requiring somebody to have lost a large amount of weight and stay there for a long period of time whilst passing all these other tests. The other one that Mm -hmm. has been used in uh, I don't know whether it's really relevant for MMA Mm -hmm. is 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 one that's been used in wrestling in the states where Mm -hmm. they at the beginning of a season do a kind of minimum weight assessment. And that involves a whole process of saying what's the lowest weight that this mm-hmm. person can can fight at or compete mm-hmm. at for that year. And that might be a strategy with, with MMA mm-hmm. athletes, you know, maybe to, to get the license, they have to do, you know, mm-hmm. a, a well kind of um, designed mm-hmm. and robust um, weight check to see where they mm-hmm. should be actually competing. Um, that, that could be an option. And then you get assigned a weight category on the basis of that almost.
0: Yeah. So... Overall, then, I mean, to, to to sum up this bit of our conversation, um, given that we're working with the uh, the system that we've got at the moment and the rules that we've got, how would you advise athletes as to how how best to to balance all those different considerations? Um, so, I mean, in a nutshell, if you're to sum up, what what would your strategy look like?
1: Um, yeah, it's really difficult to have a one-size-fits-all strategy, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, it'll, depend on, it'll depend on the individual mm-hmm. athlete, the, the, mm-hmm. the various motivations for them to do various different yeah. things. But I think at, at every conversation, mm-hmm. I'd be trying to encourage um, all athletes not to lose that, that weight. If mm-hmm. they are going to do it, then mm-hmm. um, you know, working with people who, who have the appropriate mm-hmm. training in nutrition and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and health uh, related, you know, aspects mm-hmm. of, of the sport and experience of using those type yeah. of techniques uh, to be able to to do that. If if it, you know, and there's there's probably a few. And I have this real quandary within myself. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I do have quite a lot of knowledge on the topic. Mm-hmm. So I probably you know could help quite a lot of people. You know, I mm-hmm. could help devise safer ways of losing mm-hmm. losing weight. But mm-hmm. still, there's always going to be a slight risk. risk. So as a yeah. as a practitioner, yeah. as a scientist. Uh, and, and as a, you know, <laughs> you know, from a human perspective, it's, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the, the, mm-hmm. the most efficacious thing to do. So I've got this kind of.
0: Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? Because on the one hand, the people most qualified to, to give advice are probably the least likely to want to do that.
1: Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, there's, there's probably a few things that you can, you can stick mm-hmm. to that would be relatively healthy, you know, so Um, the, the, the first thing to think about is that any time that somebody's using a sauna or a bath, Mm -hmm. someone else needs to be with them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it would be nice if you could work out some way of measuring their body temperature, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the problems that we see in, you know, recorded cases of deaths with, with weight loss Mm -hmm. are related to temperature.
0: And I mean, maybe just being aware of the symptoms of heat stroke as well, because I think a lot of people aren't. Exactly. um, and educating yourself about what you're likely to see, because again, it doesn't necessarily look like you might expect. Yeah, um,
1: Yeah. and so. then also I think the other thing that probably is important to consider is the recovery process yeah. and how people mm-hmm. recover, how best to, to rehydrate mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, in situations where somebody potentially mm-hmm. is, is exhibiting symptoms of heat stroke, right, not only yes. seeing the symptoms, mm-hmm. but how do you actually help that person mm-hmm you know, come down from that, okay? Uh, mm. And that's cooling them. So yes. having cooling facilities available mm-hmm. when people are in, in hot yeah. environments like yeah. that, you know, that those sort of things need to be on hand. Just
0: having a worst case scenario plan, yeah.
1: I suppose. Exactly. So you,
0: you know what you're gonna do if if it all goes horribly wrong. Exactly. You know, you know where your nearest hospital is or ha- where you can call an ambulance yeah. from, you've got a phone handy all of those
1: things, you know, yeah. how to... And I mean, I think with most cases, yeah. and this is what we saw in the, the, the paper that we, we published recently, We, you know, most people aren't losing mm-hmm. drastic yeah. amounts. Yeah. You know, the, I think the average weight loss in the week before a <laughs> fight for kind of male athletes was <laughs> something like six to eight percent of body weight. Right. which mm-hmm. isn't a huge, huge amount when you consider that some of that will come from yeah. you know, glycogen stores mm-hmm. and associated water. Yeah. There'll be other losses related to energy restriction, mm-hmm. which a lot of people use, dramatic energy restriction. So mm-hmm. probably 4, 4% of body weight by yeah. dehydration, mm-hmm. which, which isn't dissimilar to what you see people at when they've run a marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that run marathons mm-hmm. that are 10% dehydrated. Right. Um, you know, and again, mm-hmm. there's evidence in the literature for that. You know, mm-hmm. Haile Gabri Selassie, when he ran the Dubai marathon, mm-hmm. I think in 2009, there's, there's data on his mm-hmm. body weight before and after, mm-hmm. you know, and he lost, I think, 10% of his body weight over the course of a marathon.
0: Mm-hmm. So, wow.
1: um, you know, there are runners and other okay. athletes that yeah. are experiencing these levels of dehydration yeah. that are, you know, less dangerous. Mm-hmm. They'll probably affect performance, but they're less, mm-hmm. they're less dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. so if, if we've got people in those regions then it's, it's not too mm-hmm. much of an issue but what we do need to consider with those people is how do they recover right. after after yes. that, that weigh in and yeah. how do we go about that process best and I think that's where a lot of the focus could be because yep. if we mm-hmm. can help people recover better then you know potential problems they might run, to, run into in, mm-hmm. in, in the fight that might be affected mm-hmm. by you know levels of dehydration or low glycogen availability. Because <laughs> of course, if you've got you know low glycogen availability, maybe you know mental mental capabilities might be reduced. You <laughs> might make the wrong decision. You know that might result in you you know injuring your arm or not injuring your arm or you know there's, there's loads of things there. So I think if we could focus <laughs> on that as well, that would be that would be really useful. Yeah.
0: Excellent. So there's lots of food for thought there. Uh, Definitely. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> excellent. Well, thanks for that. Lewis, Pleasure. and uh, uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And uh, thanks
1: and for the invite. Brilliant. Hi, I'm Steve, and I produce the Combat Sports Clinic podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this episode. If so, you should head over to our website at www.combatsportsclinic.net and sign up to our free newsletter. It will keep you up to date with our latest content releases and other news about Rosie and the athletes she's working with. We also share any offers and discounts with our mailing list first, so it pays to sign up. Thanks for listening, and we will speak to you again soon.